back into another outstanding edition of the official 615 podcast brought to you by our good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. Check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Payne Bone and his staff make sure that you are number one in whatever goes on, sells, used cars, whatever. But check them out, wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Greg Poe, good to see you, buddy. Hello there. We are at the, once again, the Omni National Hotel Kitchen Notes. The biscuits and everything they provide us down here. Thank Music City Todd Rodermel for all the hospitality. The roles are reversed here. You you spun them around on me a sure. couple months ago right. when I was the guest, the interviewee, and you were the interviewer. Correct. All right. Guess what? Oh, no, what? You, it's, it's your Let's turn. It. It's your turn. We've got a lot to talk I, about. Well, I know, no, no, no. We we've got a lot of questions <laughs> <laughs> that you you I don't, I'm surprised you quite frankly that you would agree knowing you Joe right. that you would you know, me I don't care my life's an open book I'm surprised you would uh, let me try to get in your that, that's fine you that, could do uh, it. that whatever that is on top beautiful of your shoulders yeah it's a beautiful bald head you All can right. ask whatever you want okay here's where we're gonna start okay uh, I'm gonna connect the past with the present sure Donaldson. What were the affection there? We know you hear it, but McGavick High School. But why that area? Because even, you know, then and now, that's you, right? It is. It, so I'm a Hermitage Donaldson guy. Look, I tried my whole life to get away. I tried my whole life to go to Alabama, to Florida, to California, and I kept getting pulled back. And I think what happened was, was that as I look back now, uh, raised by single mom. And my brother and sister were gone, and we had a very tight relationship. And I knew, and I saw what happened to my grandfather. He had Alzheimer's. He passed away in 1987, three-year battle. Something told me not to leave. So I never left. I mean, I went to college away, and I screwed that up. I came back, and then I went, graduated MTSU. But I never left Donaldson Hermitage. It was just home, and it was just, it seemed natural. If I go back now, I would have left. But would you have left yeah. your mom? I think she would have wanted me. She would have been okay yeah. with it as yeah. I look back. But now I don't know. I mean, I I wrote an article a few months ago for Main Street, uh, and I'll tell you the story real quick. I was coming back from Chattanooga. My son played a football game. I got into the car, a two-and-a-half-hour drive, got Sirius XM radio. I said, whatever I spin it to, I'm going to listen to the way home because I don't like to listen to all the music because I'm tired. It's 11 o'clock at night. So I spun it to the Billy Graham channel. I had no idea. There's a Billy Graham channel, 450 on Sirius. I had no idea. Within 30 seconds, Billy Graham's sermon was, you can't unscramble eggs. What's happened has happened. You just look forward. There's a reason that your windshield is twice as big as your rear view mirror. I mean, your rear window. And I'm thinking, this is weird. And I looked down, Greg, I swear to God, I was going 35 miles an hour up Mont Eagle. And I was like, what is going on here? And it just hit me. And so I can't go back and think about what happened because what you can't unscramble eggs. So, you know, I like to play the revisionist history guy. I could go back and I'm going to do this or do that. You know, yeah, it would have been nice, but it is what it is. But it all shapes us. It, it, does. it, it shapes us. You can't. And I know we're going, but we're deep in this one. But uh, right. you, you can't. It, it's there. It, it's part of you forward. Yep. Because it is, unlike, you know, there's things we have in common um, that we won't publicly discuss, but <laughs> <laughs> that, 
you know, I lost my mother this past year to Alzheimer's, but it was, it was quick. Yeah. Thankfully. So like, and then, but yours mother's was, you know, more pronounced and more About long. Four years. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 but you know, the difference is I had a support system. She had a support system. You were hers. Yeah. I mean, I, I my brother did a fantastic mm-hmm. job. And so it was one of those things where, you know, that's our hero and our hero gets sick and there's, yeah. you know, I could move mountains. I can move a lot of iron in the weight room. Couldn't save her. Couldn't yeah. help her. And it goes back to something you talk about, you know, we shape us where we're from. You had a thing on the radio last week about going to Diddle Arena, and you spoke for five minutes on the radio about Diddle Arena and what it meant to you. And I was like, man, this is really, this is a side of you that we need to see more often. You're talking about going there with your father, what it meant, going to school there, the history and the people and things you saw. That to me is like Donaldson, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that place shaped me like Diddle Arena meant so much to you. That's what Donaldson means to me. McGavick High School. The best. Uh, yeah. Uh, your buddy, Walt Wells, we'll talk about that. But you and The Rock hung out together, I understand, <laughs> right? So I go there as a uh, freshman in 1982, and there's 3,000 people there. And I'm like, what am I? And I'm, at that time, I am 13 years old. So, and I go to school. I don't know what's going on. And I walk in, and I see one of my best friends in the, ca- in the cafeteria, and you know, you see a couple other friends there, then you make your way through. It's daunting. It's so many of these, you know, 18, 19 year olds shouldn't be there uh, with these people because they're five, six years older, but it ended up being the great experience. And that's the thing now that's difficult for me with my son is that I had the greatest high school experience, greatest. And so when kids don't have that experience and not to say my son's not having it, but I want him to have it, I get upset that I think people should have that high school experience where it's you you think you don't live your life as a high school graduate the whole the rest of your life and think about things but the time that I was there is fantastic and you meet some amazing people and that place was really special to me and you go forward with it i got so many memories of what happened there good things it's fantastic and and your best buddy Walt Wells, yeah. the head coach at Eastern Kentucky, former Tennessee Kentucky football assistant. Yeah. He's worked his way up now, head coach. What was cool yeah. about Walt was uh, not many of us want to play college football. So Walt went to Austin P. I went to Sanford, and so I ran into him. He was going to go to Austin P. in the fall of '86, and I saw him in the summer. So let's work out together. So we worked out the fall of '86 together for the summer. And then we did 87 as well, then 88 as well. And then that's how we became friends. We just kept with each other that way. Because not many of us went to play college football, uh, only a few of us. And then we stayed friends, became roommates. And here he is. Well, at Samford. <laughs> oh, God. You know, okay. Can, well, can we talk about the part of it you remember? Yeah. I mean, okay, you can. Because there's a lot of, th- you know, I've heard some, some stories. I was the greatest worst student at Sanford University they've ever had. I will put my tenure up there against anybody else. I raised hell. I went to class because somebody told me very on, if you go to class, you don't have to do a lot of studying. So I went to class, I mean, hungover. Uh, I don't remember much, which was stupid, but I had the best time. I mean, I was the worst student, but everybody wanted to hang around me when we went out. I mean, I looked 30 years old and went out all the time. And I had a fake ID in Birmingham. Nobody checked it. And we just had an unreal time. Think about Sanford. Was you come back in after 11 o'clock, you'd have to check in a security guard. So what do you do? You become friends with the security guard. And he's like, hey, guys, come on in. So we'd come in at 2, 3. Sometimes we wouldn't come in at all. And Your coach? Just, coach hated me. Terry Bowden hated me. He just, because... 
I I don't see that I was popular, but I was well liked on the team, and I half asked everything. And it was I go again, can't unscramble eggs. I go back to the and I'm thinking, God, Joe, if you'd have worked a little harder in the weight room on the practice, you could have been something. Instead, I was just well, out. you are something. I just <laughs> I, I, I confirm that. But I was uh, out every night, yeah. every single night. Jimbo Fisher, that you got to tell the story. So uh, Jimbo was an ass, and he was like five, six years older than all of us, and he had come down with that Terry That would be Bowden. the head coach at Texas A&M, That's right? Yep. Okay, yeah, the ass. So <laughs> we were doing practice when he wore a red jersey at practice. I was a defensive tackle, and so on a drill, you couldn't – red jersey, you couldn't touch him. So uh, I was able, for some reason, this practice, we're doing two minute drill i was blowing through and just pissing him off so i blew through one and i fake tackled him you know i was gonna wrap him up and fake tackle him the next play same thing he throws the ball at my crotch and it hurt like heck he's like 510 man he did a direct shot at my crotch and i went to the ground and i got up and went right after him and in the middle of all that was terry bowden was pushing me away and everybody got in the middle of us and jimbo just talking garbage the entire time and from that moment on i couldn't stand him could not stand him great quarterback i mean look he was a fantastic quarterback and he's winning games as a coach but i'll never forget the look in his eyes when i went after him and that was god that was august of 1987 canadian football league went up there for uh, the hamilton to, to try out coach wells and i went up there get up there and uh it's weird when you go through the border they tell you not to tell you what you're coming to canada for because they don't want americans taking canadian football jobs she said well i'm up here you know visiting we're gonna go to tourist tourists yeah and the guy said where are you going to so we're going to hamilton and the, the security border guard says ha, nobody goes to hamilton <laughs> and so especially we not the predators <laughs> right <laughs> exactly what's that guy's name boss silly uh, jim basilla yeah. yeah that's another story so we go up there and uh we work out we get hamilton we get a frigid trout for the hamilton tiger cats this was 1992 uh I, i'll never forget marcus allen's brother was the coach uh, was it John Gregory was the head coach who ended up being Kurt Warner's coach in arena ball. It was all convoluted together and you had to do a, a shuttle drill, go back, you know, five yards, five yards, 10 yards. And Walt and I had played racquetball for months and we just destroyed that drill. And the coach, the like, God, these big guys there, we had, I had the number two shuttle drill. Walt was number five over running backs and DBs and receivers and the coach said, oh, yeah. Then you do a 40-yard dash. And mine was a 5-1, which wasn't great, but it was okay. Not bad for alignment. Yeah. yeah. So Walt snapped his hamstring running it like 10 yards in. He was done. So if you're done in those drills, you're done. Mm. And I was like, God, man. Then we do one-on-one drills. And we're going against guys, I'll never forget, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Boston College, all those Northeast schools. And – just destroyed them. I just, just, I was like, you know, I'm going to do this for Walt now. I just destroyed those guys. But they had a plethora of linemen up there. And so I was like. And they can only keep so many Americans. Americans. Yep. Right. So I said, all right, I'm going to be a long snapper. I'm going to try for long because they had nobody long snapping. Well, the Canadian football is a little bit fatter. It's like a medicine so ball. So you tell me it didn't fit out of your is that what it was? You couldn't get it through there? Through those big fat thighs of yours? What? So uh, I could snap really good with the American football, the Canadian football. I, I couldn't do it. And it was going over the head, and it just one yeah. thing led to another. But I take away from that that I whipped the of these linemen from Boston College, Notre Dame, and Syracuse that I, in one-on-one drills, I beat them. And none of them made the team, which was neither here nor there. But uh, I gave everything I had, and after that was done.
Joe Dubin is our guest, yeah. usually the co-host of the official 615 podcast. Um, it's the, all weird. Uh, but, this but, is but, all yeah, weird. Well, no, yeah, I knew it would be for you, yeah. you know, because, you know, you're weird. Uh, but <laughs> then get us what? It was MTSU next, you know, to get that college degree at MTSU. Is well, that well, or you want to go uh, for your bouncer day? No, we got okay. <laughs> no, that's where we're getting. Where are they intertwined at that same time? Because not we've so got, much. Okay, what was the place on Murfreesboro? The Wrangler. The Wrangler. Wrangler. Yeah. It was the only country. Nobody came down to right. Everybody came to this bar. Right. I mean, you're talking Travis Trick, Garth Brooks, Clint Black, Brooks and Dunn, uh, Chris Ledoux, Mark Cauley. I mean, all these people that are popular in the mid-90s. This, they came every – that bar was crowded seven nights a week. Sunday and Monday were dance lessons, and then Tuesday through Saturday were – uh, country dancing, and everybody went. So Walt and I were bouncers there, and we ended up becoming bartenders on down the line because bartenders were making more money than us and not getting their face bashed in. So, But we <laughs> met a lot of people, a lot of great people doing that, and we were bouncers for, gosh, three or four years. And we were, you know, doing the roids. We were big and mean and strong, and it was everything, and it was a great time. It was a great time to be a bouncer. I couldn't do it now. Not with all the lawsuits and things that cameras knew. And the famous people that tried to get behind the ropes, you've had a few of those, right, that, that came in. and you, What what was the movie that was being filmed here? Oh, gosh. Uh, Thing Called Love. Uh-huh. That's the one that was working. Uh, I was actually behind the bar and doing a DJ because it was a Tuesday night, like, and we stayed open till 2. It's like midnight. And this guy walks in and says, hey, what time are you open till? And I said, we're open till 2. And I'm thinking, God, he looks so familiar. And it was River Phoenix. And then five seconds later comes uh, Samantha, is it Mathis, comes walking in. And then Sandra Bullock. Oh, I didn't know. Nobody knew Sandra Bullock. She ends up spending half the night in the DJ booth with me. I had no idea she was in the movie. Talked about Man, her acting career. Him, you didn't even <laughs> take a swing at it, <laughs> no, you know? And no idea. This was October <laughs> of 92 on a Tuesday yeah. night. And it was amazing. The people that, so we hung out. River Phoenix was fantastic. Sandra Bullock was incredible. Uh, there were some other people there too that have gone on to be uh, other actors. I can't remember their names now, but it was a fun night that you had. And I had a witness that was there. So it wasn't like he made it up. And my friend says, I remember that night, everything happened. So it wasn't like I made it up, but it was a great, great night. A lot of people, Ken Stabler came in one night. Walt and I were bouncing, and what guy walks up to say, I got Ken Stabler in the car. If you, There's a huge line, huge line. He says, hey, if I can get him in, uh, would that be okay? You guys mind? I'm like, yeah, Ken Stabler, whatever, yeah. you know? So he leaves about an hour later. An hour later, here comes Ken Stabler. And I hit Walt, and I said, oh, my God, it's the snake. I mean, that guy goes to the bar, doesn't drink at all, sits at the bar and signs autographs on that because once word got out, he was – the blueprint of what a celebrity should be. He was so nice, so genuine, signed autographs, didn't drink, had a great time. Uh, just no camera. There were cell phones back there, no cameras or anything, but it was a snake. And that's the only time in my life I've been starstruck. Ken Stabler, man. I know you ran into him at the Floribama. Yeah, several times down there. He, he remembered when you? you? When you well, <laughs> when you said he didn't drink, I, I don't remember that part of it. Okay. But uh, <laughs> Joe Dubin, the official 615 podcast, Greg Pogue, the interviewer, he the interviewee. And it is presented by Wilson County Hyundai, our good friend Payne Bone. We're thankful so much for his support of this podcast. Check them out at WilsonCountyHyundai.com.
TV. Oh, here we go. All right. So uh, I was working at a credit bureau in Dixon called Mid-State Credit Bureau. And uh, I started there in 95. And I think my first day there was the OJ trial, the verdict. So I, I worked there, and I was a salesperson. I was terrible. But I sold the Goodwill account. I had the telecheck. You put the check in, it zips around, comes back. Well, I sold that account to all the Goodwills in the South. A huge deal. We had a party at work before Thanksgiving, uh, about two weeks before Thanksgiving. And I go to the bathroom, and I'm washing my hands. And I look myself in the mirror. And this was 1995. I saw myself at 60 years old doing this. And I said, I can't do this. I can't. So this is how the good Lord works. I went and told my boss, I said, I'm not feeling good. He's like, take the rest of the month off. This is a huge deal. I'll see you after Thanksgiving. I get into the car. I get on the car phone and I call Samford and I called my mom first. I said, Hey, I need the number for your fax machine. She says, Oh, here it is. What's going on? I said, I'll see you in an hour. She said, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. I called Samford and uh, lady, I said, I need my transcript sent to my, this fax number. She's okay. Okay. Are you, you know, everything okay? I said, yes, ma'am. Lady at Sanford. Very nice. Try to my mom's office and I get the transcripts. My mom's like, what are all your transcripts from Sanford here? And I said, I'm, I'm re-enrolling in school on the way to get those transcripts. I called my brother-in-law who worked in overnight trucking and I said, Hey, I need a job. He's like, Hey, I can get you overnights, but it's 10 at night to six 30 in the morning. We'll pay like 12 bucks an hour. I'm in. He said, can you start Sunday? I'm in. I said, all right, you're good. You're hired. So I got my transcripts. I drove to MTSU. Uh, I go to MTSU. I go in there. I fill up my stuff real quick. And I go to hand the stuff in. The lady pulls the thing down and the admissions office at MTSU. And I said, well, what are you doing? She's like, it's 4.05. We closed at 4. I said, ma'am, you got to, you got to, I'm, I'm rolling in school. You got to let me in. You got me in. What I did not know was that was the last day to register for spring. If you miss that day, you have to wait till summer. And I told the lady my story and she's like, oh my God, that is amazing. I said, please, please do this for me. She's like, okay, since you're so nice, I'll let you in. And had I waited the next day, I wouldn't have got in. So I enroll in school. I have to take a lot of my, trans, my credits from Sanford don't transfer because they're pri private school. And I filled a lot of class. I filled a lot of classes at Sanford and I go to school in January of 96. I'm walking the parking lot and this is before they remodeled the stadium. And I'm, so I'm between Murphy center and Floyd stadium and it snowed the day before and there was a lot of ice I'm walking through and I fall, right? It took me about five seconds to fall. I'm back and forth and I fall on my face. I mean, hard, fell right on my face. And I wrote this in the Main Street Media, too. And I fell on my face. And I'm not sure if I'm bleeding or not, but I'm hurting. And nobody helped me get up. People are watching me fall. And then when I sat there, I got up, and I thought to myself, I'm going to be all right. Because I thought, where was I two months ago? I was in this dead-end job, making no money, no future. So when I fell, I still fell forward on my face but I'm falling forward. I knew that I'd be okay. Took 67 hours in a year, graduated in May. I needed an internship. So uh, all my buddies were calling Rudy Kalis at Channel 4. We're going to go over there. And so I called Rudy. He's like, hey, I got like nine interns. I'm like, man. So I call, what's the worst station in town in 1996? Channel 2. I call him up. The guy's like, Jerry O'Lennon is a sports guy. He's like, I've not had one call for an intern. Come on in. He goes, but I'm leaving in two months. You're hiring a new guy. 
but you're more than welcome. So I came by there, had Jerry signed my paperwork, turned it in, and became an intern at Channel 2. Jerry quits. A guy named John Dwyer comes to town. John doesn't know anything about Nashville. Big high school football guy. Big high school football guy and says, hey, I need your help for high school football. I'll pay you a little cash under the table. I said, hey, man, I need my hours. This is great. So that's how I started working with John. So anyway, internship. Now, the guy at Channel 2 came to me and said, hey, when your internship's over, make sure they know it's over, that they're going to miss you. Well, I busted my ass. I was loading trucks. I started working at Outback on West End. And I was like, this is going to be a fun job. Uh, and then my internship was over, and they said, hey, we got a job for you. You can edit the noon show for $6 an hour. I'm in. So I'm working at a healthcare company in Franklin from 2 to midnight, and I'm working at Channel 2 from 8 to 1, editing the noon show. But I'm in. My, I'm in the front door. Foot's in the door. Foot's in the door. So I'm in. And from there, I just worked my way up. I just wanted to say something. Foot's in the door. <laughs> Go ahead. So I worked my way up from there, and uh, I tell people all the time. I, so Channel 2 at the time had all the Titans preseason games. And we were doing these promos like Titans versus the Bears uh, Sunday night because it was 99 when the season, you know, they get the Titans uh, contract. No more Oilers. So I kept writing promos for a promotion guy named Dave Van Hooser. And Dave said, hey, great, thanks. Hey, great, thanks. So finally, I wrote one for Titans-Jaguars in the AFC Championship game. It was a takeoff on the Blitter Witch Project. And I wrote it, and then I wrote it on a Sunday night when the Titans had just beaten the Colts, and everybody was going to Jacksonville, and the game was going to be on Channel 2, ABC. And I said, uh, I think it was ABC, and I, I wrote it on a Sunday. I gave it to him on a Monday. Tuesday calls me and says, hey, we're going to do your promo. I said, you are? He's like, two reasons. We like it. And secondly, so you'll stop handing me proposals. Yeah. Okay. So we do it. Well, and I've told you my first radio job. They hired me to, to limit me my time there. <laughs> right. That way, yeah. You're working 20 hours a week, leave. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that story. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what happened. So I did this, and then it was a take on the Blair Witch Project, and it was a great promo. It got nominated for an Alpha Award, a big promotional award. And I remember Dave Van Hooser says, from now on, we'll do these together. So we did these promos together, and it was a lot of fun. Then we won three years later to take off on the Jeff Fisher Show. I walked around downtown Nashville with a huge Jeff Fisher sign on my back, and we just had fun with people, and we won the Alpha Award. Big, and Channel 2 had never won that award, a big, huge A Alpha Award. So during this process, I had a general manager who really liked me. And I said, look, I want to do some stuff. He's like, yeah, I don't have an opening in sports. I said, it doesn't have to be sports. News director hated me. General manager loved me. I said, it doesn't have to be. So meanwhile, I'm sending tapes out around. I'm doing these air checks. I'm sending tapes out around the country. I probably sent out 55 to 60 tapes. I got one reply back. A guy in Mobile, Alabama, a guy named Chuck Bark, was a news director, said, hey, I love your enthusiasm. I'm not a fan of your look. Fine with me. You know, I had, I had long hair. My hair was long. Uh, I was still bald up top, but I had a mullet. And I wrote him back, and I said, thank you. Somebody reached out to me and said, hey, whatever. Uh, so I, re I redid everything, my resume tape. I did it around, did it differently, and I sent it out to different people, and I started getting hits. I mean, I redid everything, and one of the job offers I got was Bowling Green. I got Tampa and Bowling Green, right? The job offer no mullet. There's no mullets in Bowling Green. <laughs> I'll just tell you that. The job in Bowling Green paid more than Tampa. And my daughter was four years old. I'm like, hey, I'm close to home. I can do this. So my general manager finds out I get the job. He's like, well, I can't let you go. I said, 
I'm going, you know, I'm going. It's funny. The name's Mike Seekerson. He will tell you in the same story as I'm leaving Mike's office. I said, you know what, Mike, what's going to happen one day when you retire? They're going to say, what's one regret you have in television? And you're going to say without pausing, I let Joe Dubin walk out my door. And he sat there, not sure anybody's ever talked to him that way. I said, okay. So I was off the next day, and I came in to get some stuff at work, and I was in the back of the parking lot like, eating Sonic, and he calls me. He's like, where are you? I said, heading to Bowling Green, sign the contract. He's like, turn around. And I'm in the back of the parking lot at Channel 2 eating. I said, all right, I'll be back in an hour. He's like, we're going to figure this out. So I came back in, and he's like, hey, we're going to start this on January the 1st, and this was August 15th. I said, no, we're going to start a week from Monday. He goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, put me in the community. Put me in the community. Let me go out and have fun in the community. He goes, well, I've never done that before here. We had it in Dallas, and I worked in Miami, and it worked. I said, it's going to work here. Put me in the community. And I came up with the big Joe name, and the boss at the time hated that, just CB Joe Dubin. Uh, three months later, he got shipped off to another place, and when a new boss came in, and she's like, what do you want? I said, I want my nickname back. She's like, take it. Big Joe on the go. It started out in the community. Did that for about three years at Channel 2, and here's I got into sports. On the same day at Channel 2 at the time, Corey Curtis, Sarah Walsh, and John Dwyer all left, like within like 72 hours. Sarah went to D.C., Corey went to Virginia someplace, and John was moving to the morning show. So Mike Seeker said, I need you to do sports this weekend. Man, I don't want to do that. I like what I'm doing. It's community so much fun. He's like, I need you. I need you to do this. So I do sports on the weekend. USA's playing a World Cup game against a country I'd never heard of. So I said, I'm going to make this a three-minute SNL weekend update skit. And I just had fun with it about a country that nobody's ever heard of. I put a information screen about this country. We just had fun with it. After the sportscast, GM calls me. I'm like, oh, God. I mean, he, he's like, says, I've never laughed at a sportscast like I did at this one. You're my new sports guy. And I was like, I don't want to. He's like, new contract. You're the sports director. I don't be sports director. That's how I got in sports. They hired Chris Stout comes in to be the sports director. And he, you know, he was the best coworker besides you I've ever been with in my life. Just a lot of fun, good times. It was a pleasure to go to work. And that's where I stood, and I, and I stayed in sports, and that's how it all took off. You left Channel 2. You were out of the business. Yep. We were doing a morning show yes. at 102.5. We moved over uh, to um, 560 AM, 95.9 FM, where obviously I, I still do it, and we did it many, many of them. That's where but we were. back up. You were yeah. a, you were you played a small part in me getting to Channel 4. Well, yeah, and that's where I was headed, did, did you let, if you'd let me talk a little bit. <laughs> You're not used to that. So, no, I, I get a I get a call from Rudy Kalis, yeah. and hey, hook me up with Big Joe, and I knew what that was all about because I knew there was changes at Channel Four coming. Yeah, and and the one thing I got I obviously forwarded your contact information, and I said um, he's a nut, but he's a good nut. Is what I told him, and, and he already knew that. And so Channel Four was, yeah, was he, the was the fit. He called me at nine thirty on a Monday night, and he knew I don't answer the phone unless I really know someone. But the good Lord said, "Answer that phone." I mean, it, it, Greg, it rang forever. And I'm like, I'm not answering and, this and, phone, and he wasn't in your contact, not, so you didn't no know who idea. was calling, right? Pick it up, and it's Rudy, yeah. and he says, "Hey, uh, they want me to pick my replacement, and I've been looking at YouTube clips, but I keep coming back to you." And would you get in TV? I said, possibly. I said, but I'm not your replacement. I'm not 
Ray Perkins to your Bear Bryant. I'm not doing that. I am Gene Barco to John Wooden. <laughs> not doing that. Uh, and he said, that's fine. I said, I'll just maybe part of the staff. And I did an air check and I went to Channel 4 and did an air check. Three different rehearsals. I did the first one. Uh, I thought it was good. And I said, hey, that's, you know, I did Ron Berg. And he's like, hey, that's, we're good. You know, great job, everybody. I'm done. And the news director came in and said, I've seen all I need to see. Thank you. And then uh, next day, offered me a job. From sports to the morning, where the Big Joe was really personified yes. at the most. It, it caused our show to, as in its form, to quit because you couldn't do right. both. But that was putting Big Joe on the go out there front and center. So when I started back there on 10 o'clock sportscast, I had five minutes. Then went to four minutes. Then went to three minutes. Then went to two minutes. Then went to a, I had a producer who said, well, you're going to have to come in and fight for your time at 10 o'clock. And I said, let me ask you something. Am I still getting paid? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm good. Enjoy the show. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need. I said, don't ever question me. Let me do my job. I'm a personality. I know how to do the job. Don't mess with me. Give me my three to four minutes back, and never, we'll never mention this again. They said, fine. What put me over the edge, Greg, was I'm a high school football guy like you. I think the television station's biggest footprint is high school football. I don't give a crap about the weather. Everybody does the weather the same. High school football, you're in the community, you park the van by the front gate, people see the gate, and they engage with you. You fly in in helicopters. Rudy? Like was, Rudy did? Yeah. Unbeatable. Unbeatable uh -huh. to do that. I mean, people love that. So on Rudy retired in 17, so next year in 18, we had 10 minutes on a Friday night for high school football. My boss time comes to me and says, hey, ratings are slipping. We're going to take half your time away. I'm like, why? Well, the ratings and your calls in the back half, I said, People tune out for 10, 15 anyway. I mean, it's, you see it every night. She's like, well, we can't do that. And then we're going to cut you back to five minutes. I was furious, right? So the next Friday night, I'm, I, I'm in the sports office. I'm sitting next to Justin Beasley. And I said, let's look and see what they replaced. I didn't look in the rundown of the computer. I said, I want to see what they replaced us with. I swear to God, they replaced us with a story about a turtle that got lost in an elementary school in New Jersey. And my blood was boiling. I'm like, you took. Man, you don't undersell the, 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 <laughs> the, the Jersey turtle. You I mean. took that away from me. <laughs> and you know how passionate about high school yeah. football. You, you're ready to fight. You took that yeah, away from yeah, me. I can imagine. So the next year, a new regime comes in, new GM, new news director. And we do nothing in the community. Nothing. in the We do nothing. We talk a good game. I was at Channel 4 under Meredith Corporation. They talk a good game. You go plant a tree in September. That's like in the community. It's, no. So I went to the guy and I said, put me in the, let me go do this. Let me have fun in the community. Let me do things. He's like, okay, I'll give you 30 days. And I said, no, I don't need 30. I just need one day. And I busted my butt and he's like, all right, you're going to do this. And so the big Joe came back again. And then in March COVID hits and to go out and do that job when COVID hits in the email, I saved every hateful email, got a hundred of them. People wishing I would die. People with, we had a good friend, our friend, I would interview Tom Hodges and some lady wrote and said, hope that both he and I get sick of COVID from COVID. Some awful, nasty people out there. And, you know, you don't want Tom Hodges to get sick because you have that show with him on Saturday morning. He's a good friend. <laughs> He's a good friend. So I saved all these and it was just amazing people, you know, and so I went out and started, Tom gave us a story about Delmonico's in Murfreesboro. 
run by Jeff Murphy, former MTSU quarterback. And he had just started a business, second mortgage, on it, and nobody was coming there. We went down there, did a live shot. People got word about it, went down there and started ordering sandwiches from him. He called me up uh, like a day later and says, hey, thank you. He helped get the word out, positive story. I was like, positive stories. Mm-hmm. So I go out and find And him. names and faces. Names and faces. Why were you not my consultant? Names still have and, my well, job. I mean, it's names and faces. I still have my job. I'd still have the mm-hmm. job if you were to be mm-hmm. my consultant because you understand what hyper-local and community is. And my voice is going to get stronger. I'm going to get pissed off because this is where TV stations <laughs> are losing it. This is where they're losing it. They're losing people because they're not out in the community. So the boss came to me and he's like, you know, like three months in, he said, what's your continuous plan about COVID? And I said, more positive stories. More. And he's like, well, I don't think people want to see that. Nice try, but nobody wants that. And that's where I came up with the red car analogy. It's like my son in second grade, the teacher said, I want you to go out and count all the red cars after school one day and come back and tell me how many red cars you saw. So apply that to positive stories. They're out there. Just look for them. You know, look for the red car. And so we were, Justin Bees and I were finding these stories. And they and if you get known for that, they come to you. Exactly. They find you. And then you've got a litany of stories, uh, of good stories you've all got to choose from. I had probably 35 to 40 yeah. stories uh-huh. just sitting there in the queue waiting to yep. go. Uh, I went on and on and on and on. And... The consultant at Channel 4 didn't like me, didn't like what we were doing, didn't like the positivity, wanted to give my time elsewhere. And then I saw the writing on the wall, and that ended my time. But I left on my terms. Now, I might go back one day to do sports, not a full-time job, freelance, have some fun. Uh, I still miss using your line that I use all the time about when the Predators would have a big fight. It's a Dubin family reunion. Mm-hmm. You gave me that line. I use that line all the time. People loved it. So I would do something like that, but full-time, I think local news is gone. It's gone. It's out of there. It, it is in the urban setting. You've hooked up with Main Street Media, yeah. which obviously builds itself on the hyper-local product because they're on the ground in 14 they got 14 locations i guess from columbia to you know, all over all over got 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 all the uh, all, all the contiguous counties in our metropolitan area yeah the murfreesboro post the wilson post our good buddy tommy Bryan, monty hill blah 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 yeah. uh maurice Patton in columbia i know i see it and um people love it, it, it it's, tell- it, it's the local local but you were brought in uh, to grow the video side of it. The yes. print side's there. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you, uh, Devin O'Day and, and a few others, yeah. but you were, that's, that's what you're there for to grow the, you know, and this is part, what we're doing here is part of it. it is. But, so yeah. we have a show every weekday, seven day called mornings on main street. And it's a streaming show. And we got uh, surprisingly, we got good viewers. We got not good numbers. People are watching. People are craving good news. They want to watch good news and good things. And, Everything we do is hyper-local that goes on, and people know what's happening in the community. We talk about charities, we talk about events, we talk about people, we talk about things that are going on. We bring on some of our friends that have fun with all that. There's a place for this. I can search out where I want to see my news. I don't have to wait till 10 o'clock to see the Channel 4, Channel 5 news. I can find the good news wherever it is, and we got a platform to do this. And the podcast is part of it, our show's part of it, and the best part is there is no consultant. 
Our owner lives here in Middle Tennessee, so he knows what affects us, what goes on. I'm not saying this because he's the boss and the owner, uh, but this is you've worked in that city. Well, he's before. got a name, right? Dave Gould. You're right. <laughs> and Dave has been fantastic. Yep. And so when you got a boss who believes in you and you understand this completely, uh, who lives in the community, then you don't have to sell that, hey, there's something really cool happening in Clarksville. You know, when you're consul consultants in Denver, Colorado, he don't know where Clarksville is. He don't know that it takes two hours to get up I-24 up there and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. He doesn't know Wilma Rudolph is. I mean, so there's things that you know in working in that setting. And uh, so with Dave, real quick, how I got with Dave, I was at a high school basketball game. A good friend of mine says, hey, do you know that reporter on Press Row? I said, I do not. He's like, he works for Main Street Davidson. I'm like, what is that? He's like, it's a local paper, do real high school coverage. And he shows me an article with his son in it. I'm like, I like, th I like this. So I started getting Main Street Davidson reading high school contacted Dave and said, Hey, I got a blog. I'm going to send you my articles. I don't want any money. Just post them out there if you like them. And uh, Dave started doing it. And then one thing led to another. We met, my contract was up at channel four off this opportunity and I could still keep on writing. Let me tell you real quick. Now we run out of time. Uh, no, the things about podcast. Yeah. And the buzzer doesn't ring. Okay. <laughs> I get to the break. So I, I have gotten more compliments on my stories than I ever did working at channel four. I'm not kidding, whatever. So I was at Baja Burrito in Murfreesboro, and I've told this story before, getting my car oil change at uh, Nelson Mazda across the street. I'm in reminding my business. Lady walks up and says, hi, are you Big Joe? Older lady, you know, probably about 80. I said, yes, ma'am. She's like, oh, okay, hold on one second. She comes back from her car and brings an article I wrote about basically why we don't throw things away. And it was an article, and it sounds just so childish. Uh, my daughter, the day she was graduating from nursing school, my belt broke. So I'm in Mississippi. I got to get a new belt. And I'm thinking, when did I buy this belt? And I bought the belt the day my son graduated from pre-K. And I'm thinking, God, I had that belt in pre-K. Then a month later, I buried my mom. And then I go through job changes. I go through a, a divorce, which was awful, and the rebirth of my career. And now my daughter, I'm thinking, this stupid belt has carried me for 10 years. Just a belt. Just a dumb belt. I'm not throwing it away because I can look at it and say, man, I went through a lot, and I came on the other side smiling. And well, so, can I jump in? Good yeah. thing it wasn't underwear. <laughs> but no, but <laughs> right. go ahead. So the lady says, my husband passed away uh, – Oh, last fall and of 2020. And she said, and he's got all these shoes. And my kids say, mom, just get rid of those shoes. Nobody needs them. You know, they're not, not good anymore. And she said, I've been telling them, those are the shoes that we saw our grandchildren in. Those are the shoes where we saw you get married. Those are the shoes that he wore when all these great things happened. And she said, because of your article I sent to him and they said, all right, mom, we understand. Keep the shoes. And I was done. It's, if that's the last thing I got, I was done. It impacted that lady who I did not know that way from something that I wrote. It was kind of just trivial about a belt. It wouldn't throw the belt away, but it hit her heart and I was good. Well, you've hit a lot of hearts, including mine. Oh, you're so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not flirting with you, okay? Uh, I'm going home to, to my wife. Right. All right. Uh, but I've told you this. I mean, there's, I, you know, I, I've had offers to do this probably eight or nine times from people. I wouldn't do it. 
because uh, there's a synergy that you and I have. You know, you get under my skin, I get under your skin, but it's fun. It's just good poking and prodding. And well, you agreed to it uh, when you asked me, ah, I mean, yeah, but ah, whatever. Yeah. But for you, I know what this meant. This is not something you're uh, very comfortable. No, with. I'm not. Yeah, I just, I'm sweating like yeah, a pig. I know. And, and so <laughs> I am. But, you know, it's, but this is fun. I mean, this is allowed, this is a great way to allow us to continue the relationship to get out and see people yeah. and talk to people. Yeah. And, and then this is, uh, you know, the, um, the Futures Unlimited with the yeah, official 615 podcast. want to thank uh, Todd Rotermel, everybody at Kitchen Notes, and our great sponsors. Real quick, though, uh, tell the story. How do I'm we, trying to wrap the thing up. There. How do okay. we get the name, official 615 podcast? I guess uh, we said so. <laughs> It's, it's amazing, isn't it that is, right? It's, it's you know you know why it, it's what it is. <laughs> it is. I, I do it all the time. You know why it's the official six one five podcast? Huh? We said so. We said That's so. Our, Appreciate right. you, brother. All right.